All right, church, grab your seats if you can. A, a couple announcements as we get started here. So I'm seeing a bunch of dress blues. We got some cadets in the house and some basketball players here. I see you, baller. Yeah, over here, just, we bless you, we honor you. Thank you for your service to our country and what you're gonna do. We see greatness in you and on you. So one more time for the cadets, give it up. Uh, the second thing is our children's ministry is expanding massively. We had 169 kids check in last week and probably more. And we're like kicking butt and taking names and like lots of great kids and discipleship is happening, which means with the growth, we need more of you to help us. We've got a table in the back. All of you are like, awesome. <clears throat> Someone did it for you when you were a baby. Now get your butts upstairs <laughs> and do your part. Amen. Amen. Uh, so anyway, there's a table in the back. We would love to have you. If you can pass a background check and you can fog a mirror, we will take you. <laughs> I'm, now I'm exaggerating a little bit. But if you have a heart to serve and you love children... We would love to have you, so get signed up for this incredible work. Uh, we say around here, there is no junior Holy Spirit. There is good discipleship happening upstairs. These kids are catching it, and it's wonderful to see. The third thing that I wanna say tonight is after four weeks of being gone, uh, my wife has been out with our kids at soccer tournaments traveling around and, and hasn't been here for a month, so it's good to have my prodigal wife back. <laughs> to church. I love you, Lisa. I bless you. Oh, uh, she's got to say, there's a mic right there if you need something. There's a mic. What are you going to say? This is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, I try doing it every week. <laughs> <laughs> no, as he, I, I was, as he was talking, I was like, I need, I tease him sometimes and say, I need to have a mic. Just like when he said, kicking butt and taking names when he's talking about kids. I'm like, no, don't Shut say that. Don't Shut say that. So anyway, <laughs> I'm always sitting there over there going, Please don't say that. So if he said anything the last few weeks that he shouldn't have, yes. let me know. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. What she's saying is it's not her fault. She is doing all the discipleship she can at home, but when I get in this moment, all bets are off. So welcome back. I'm glad you came to your senses and have repented. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter one. We have been going through a series for eight weeks. This is week eight of our series. And, and next week we'll pivot. Next week we've got Ken Costa flying in from London, England. And you will not wanna miss Ken. If you've been here before when he's come, it's always rich, it's always wise and deep. So Ken's coming next week. But this week is the final week in our eight weeks talking about God the Father. So we're gonna pivot next week to talk about God the Son for eight weeks. And then after Easter at Pentecost, we're gonna talk about God the Holy Spirit for eight weeks. So a six-month series, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so tonight, I wanna read to you out of Isaiah chapter one, Israel's preeminent prophet, maybe. And he's got something to say here at the beginning of his, his book. And so I'll read this text and I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah. He says, Hear me, you heavens, and listen up, earth, for the Lord has spoken. And here's what God says. I reared children and I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. 
The ox knows its master. The donkey knows its owner's manger. But Israel does not know, and my people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, says Isaiah. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, dang. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to speak to us tonight. We are in desperate need. We have heard uh, cable news all week. We've heard the reports all week. We've heard the voices of our coworkers all week. We've heard encouragement from those who love us. We've heard discouraging things sometimes from those who love us. We've heard so much, but we need the voice that trumps every voice to speak tonight. We need you to reset us. We need you to awaken us. We need you to heal us. We need you to cleanse us. We need your voice, God. Scripture says that at, at the sound of God's voice, the earth melts. So Lord, would you tenderize us tonight? Would you soften us tonight with your, with your word? We pray may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Have you ever been around a child that's never been told no? <laughs> Woo! Hell hath no fury like a overly coddled child. And uh, we've, all, we've all been in those settings where you're like, ooh, hoo, glad that one's going home with someone else tonight. Uh, but with both of my parents, I remember crucial moments of holy correction. Holy correction. Now, I don't mean losing temper. I don't mean yelling. I don't mean speaking evil words. I'm not talking, that's, they, thankfully, they didn't do that to us. I'm talking about holy correction, where there were these critical junctures where they would look me in the eye and they would say, Daniel Wilson Grothy, in the name of Jesus, get your mind right. That will never be okay. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you come from? Do you know what your name means? Do you know what God has for you? No, sir. Moments of holy correction where they would jerk the slack out and and we laughed and we played and we had a blast but there were times anyone ever had one of those moments where where the rope was tight and the conversation was thick and the eye contact was unbroken and we're going to get this thing straight right now can you hear me Daniel Wilson Grothy holy correction one of the great gifts that my parents gave me was a community of people around me who could with them help hold me accountable pastors who could look me in the eye and say, man of God, no. My parents' friends who could look me in the eye and say, you're better than this and I know that God has something for you, let's get it right. No. Basketball coaches and baseball coaches and band directors, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. You can do better. I'll work with you. I'm not saying you go do this on your own, but we're we're gonna get this right. So we're gonna get on the line until we can regain our focus. Let's run, you know. And all of the correction and all of the discipline and all of those moments where someone had authority to look me in the eye and say a holy no are all those moments that shaped me. You read Isaiah chapter one tonight and it's a, it's a holy no. 
He calls the people of Israel who have more for their future, who have more from their past. They've got an identity. They've got a calling. They've got a holy vocation. They came from the promised land and I'd led you through the the sea on dry land and you're gonna wander off into cheap idolatry? No. God looks them in the eyes in this moment and says a holy no to them. You see, correction is one of the greatest gifts God can give us. Correction is one of the greatest gifts that God can give us. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof or correction is stupid. (laughs) Thank you, Solomon. (laughs) Appreciate the candor there. Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every child whom he receives. Like this is the normal course of life. This is how God makes us his, he disciplines those he loves. I had a friend tell me growing up, an older, wiser friend say, if you're not feeling the Lord's discipline, be very concerned. He disciplines those he loves as a father, a child that he delights in. And Isaiah describes the people of God in this moment as rebellious of having forsaken God's ways. So what does God do when his children are wandering off? He corrects them. And how does he do it? Tonight I want you to see that he does it by sending his holy prophets. We've got this book here, the Old Testament in particular, where there's 15 prophets, three major prophets. And by major, I don't mean they're of a different order. I mean their books are longer. You've got Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And these are kind of longer tomes, big, big prophecies. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But then you've got these 12 minor prophets that come along and they say, thus saith the Lord. When God wants to get his children back on track, he sends his prophets with a word from heaven. Let me give you a little sampling tonight of some of these prophetic words that you'll find in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 2, God says, as a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. And they have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Think about this imagery. God says, they have turned their backs to me, not their faces. We're good. We don't need you. We know how to live. We've got this. They've turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. God's like, do you see? Like we can, we can go 365, 24-7 with each other. We can live in communion. We don't have to do this. And then when life falls apart, you come calling. God says, Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. You will also leave that place with your hands on your head, the place where you set up the altars, where you worship false gods. You will also leave that place with your hands on your head for the Lord has rejected those you trust and you will not be helped by them. So God says, live with your face turned toward me instead of your back. God sends his prophets. He sent Amos, Amos an agrarian. We know very little about him biographically. We know that he was a country boy. He was from the sticks. He had chew in his mouth most days. I'm not sure what the Hebrew version of that would have been, but just a a good old boy from Oklahoma or Kentucky, you know, just a, a hardworking, salt of the earth, agrarian, sheep herder. And, and Amos goes, he knows about producing food for the nation to eat. And he sees that in this moment, this is Israel's greatest time of prosperity. And they're flourishing. And, and their, their pockets are deep and their barns are filled and they're building bigger barns. But they won't share with each other. 
And so God sends this agrarian, a man who knows how to feed a country, and he sees that these people have, God has blessed them with their grain and their, their barns are overflowing, but they won't give it away. And he rebukes them in the name of the Lord. He goes, oh, you're gonna let God give you a, a bunch of food, but you won't share it? The Lord rebuke you. He sends Amos to, to get the people back on track. When God speaks through Zephaniah, he uses this phrase that I will completely remove all the things from the face of the earth. Like God's just angry at how they're living because They've become, quote, stagnant in spirit. So God wants to stir those who become stagnant. So what I wanna ask tonight is, what is the aim of a prophet? If we've got this book where these 15 prophets announce, thus saith the Lord, and they've got these words that pulse with life, what is the aim of a prophet? The prophet's aim, first thing, I'll say three things about it. The prophet's aim, first, is to shock us out of our complacency, to wake us up. To come with accusation and a call to repentance to, to, to woo us back toward covenant faithfulness with Yahweh. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, one of the great thinkers of the last hundred years, he's a, a Jew from Eastern Europe that immigrated over here during the Holocaust. Most of his family died in Germany and in Poland, but he was able to get over to New York City and get out safely and He's this great scholar studying Israel's ancient prophets and he said, the prophet rarely sings, mostly castigates. His images must not shine, they must burn. The prophet is intent on intensifying responsibility. He's impatient of excuse. He's contemptuous of pretense and self-pity. His words are often slashing, even horrid. Designed to shock rather than to edify. The mouth of the prophet is a sharp sword and he is a polished arrow taken out of the quiver of God. The prophet comes to shock us, to wake us up, to shock us out of our complacency. Isaiah walks in and, you know, Isaiah, I don't know if you've read Isaiah, but there's like a section of Isaiah's life where he walks around naked for three years, like, I'm so glad God didn't call me to that. <laughs> like his ministry, like his vocation, like God says, go and be a prophetic sign to these people. And Isaiah's walking around and these people are like, what, in the, what is going on? And essentially what Isaiah is saying to them is, you don't even know that you've been uncovered. You don't even, you think you're all covered up. You think your life is beautiful. You're an embarrassment. Isaiah does this to wake the people back up and shocks them out of their complacency. And I remember having a guy in my office, a friend in my office 10, 11 years ago. And I don't normally do this, but I felt this like he was being a jackal to his family. Like just a jackal. 11 years ago, I, rem- I can take you to the spot in my office where I was sitting. And he came in with his wife and, and, and I hear what's been going on and something in me, I just got real quiet for a while and, and then I just said to him, what are you thinking? And he, and I said, are you wanting to destroy your life? What is wrong with you? This is a guy who I'd had a long history with. I don't normally do this. And you're like, I'm not gonna set up a meeting with Pastor Daniel anytime soon. But I had cred with this guy. We had history and we knew each other. We'd been in each other's homes and shared life together. But over the last year of that, that last year he just, tapered off he'd wandered off and his life was falling apart and I just felt like the spirit of God rose up in me to kind of wake him up that day what are you doing 
And the prophet comes to shake us out of our complacency. That's the first thing that happens when, when God, through his prophetic word, he, he, he jolts us because he loves us. The second thing that a prophet does is that a prophet aims to help us get our humanity back. The prophet aims to help us get our humanity back. You, you read through the book of Jeremiah and you see that Jeremiah is crying all of the time. And, and, and Jeremiah becomes known as the weeping prophet because these people had forgotten how to cry. These people had forgotten how to mourn. These people had forgotten how far they had fallen. These people had forgotten how to feel. The debris of their sin and the weightiness of their darkness had, had, had sort of cluttered the field of their heart. And God sends in Jeremiah to start crying. And these people are going, what is he doing? And over time, God breaks their hearts and they begin to cry again. And they begin to feel again. And they begin to have pathos again racing through their bloodstream. And they begin to cry out to God and say, have mercy on us before Jeremiah showed up. These people were calloused and death was setting in and darkness was hovering over them and they'd forgotten how to feel. And the aim of the prophet is to help the people get their humanity back. It's so important for us today in this age. We, we can medicate ourselves into this, this apathy, this lethargy. We can as long as we're paying our bills, we think we're okay, but we start to glaze over in our souls and we start to not to be able to share our feelings and tell each other that we love each other and, and, and we're just kind of, we're doom scrolling through all the terrible news that's in front of us all the time. And if we were honest, if we looked ourselves in the mirror and remember how we used to look when we were alive, we would, we would feel that sense of sadness and darkness and really even shame. And the prophet comes to say, God has humanity for you again. You're made in his image. You're made to feel. You're made to emote. You're made to pray. You're made to worship. You're made to shout. You're made to dance. You're made to fall on your face at the beauty of God's majesty and the holiness. Friends, get your humanity. This is what the, the prophets do. They shake us from our complacency and they help us begin to recover our humanity again. The third thing that you see with the prophets is that the prophet's aim is to help energize our hope toward a new future. They energize our hope toward a new future. Just like when my parents, when I, when I had those moments where I was wandering, they would look me in the eye and they said, do you know where you come from? And do you know what God has for you? Like you're gonna, you wanna like squander this? You, you want to lose the treasure and the inheritance and the, the, the spiritual, the calling that's on you? No, God has something for you. And what the prophet comes to do is to wake us up and to help us feel again and get our humanity back and to remind us of the future that God has for us. And don't you know that he's called you into a land flowing with milk and honey? And don't you know he's called you into a world where one day there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more mourning and no more suffering and no more war and no more rumor of war and no more famine, don't you know that God is going to get this story back on track? So as you wake up, I want you to remember where God is taking this story. The prophet comes to energize us and to remind our hope, to, 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 to point our hope in that great direction of God's glorious future. The prophet comes to wake us up. So that's the, the three things the prophet comes to do. But I want to ask, what's our job? If God wants to get us back, 
What does responsiveness to God look like? I'll put three simple things in front of you tonight. One, we need to get the message of the prophets back in our lives. Put down your phone. Go into a room with your Bible and put this book in your lap and say, come Holy Spirit and start reading Micah chapter one and let this word jolt you back to life. And let this word shake you to your core. And let this word help you reimagine the world that you're living in. And let this word remind you of God's glorious future. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And seek the peace and the prosperity of the place to which I've sent you. For if your city prospers, you too will prosper. Let these words bring you back to life. Let the message of the prophets get in, in front of you again. And, and some of you are like, it's just, it's, it's hard for me. I'll, I'll give you a little suggestion. Go to the Bible Project. Google the Bible Project. Go to the Bible Project. If you don't know what it is, they have these beautiful little videos. It's excellently done. It's scholarly. It's, it's fun to watch. You can, I, I watch them with my kids. And just say, Jeremiah. And it'll give you a 10-minute video on what the prophet Jeremiah is trying to do. Watch that and then open up the book of Jeremiah and let those words start to, to penetrate to the very deepest places of your being. Friends, we've got to get the message of the prophets back inside of us. And what do they say insanity is? Like doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Like if you haven't been reading the Bible, change one thing. Start reading the Bible. Like tell me how that goes for you. Tell me if that's gonna be a bad investment of your time. We've got to get this message right back in front of our eyes. And the ancient psalmist, the Israelites, they would do three, four, five, seven times a day. They would open the word and they would say, oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And how can I keep my way pure? By hiding your word in my heart. And Friends, we've got to get the message of the prophets back in front of us. In a distracted age, we need to become a people of the book all over again. The second thing I want to say tonight is we need the presence of prophetic figures in our lives. Saints and sages who have history with God. People who have lived decades of holiness, a compounding interest of spiritual authority. And, and, and people who have beautiful lives that you would like your life to look like one day. And to spend time with them and to ask really good questions and to ask them to speak into your life and to ask them where they see that you need to grow up. Are there any areas? I was doing this yesterday. I drove up to Denver. I spent, I spent three hours of my day yesterday driving up to Denver, having a lunch with someone like this and then driving back home. And we walked outside after a meal and I said, tell me what you see and tell me what you would encourage me to do. And I'll be 40 at the end of this year. What do you remember about 40 and what would you tell me to focus on and what would you tell me to stay away from and warn me? Would you please warn me? What do I not know? And this guy just gave it to me. It was so wonderful. But friends, we live, in a, we live in a world where we want to gather up voices that sound like ours, a little echo chamber of our own ideas, and it impoverishes us. We need people to rebuke us because they love us. We need people to say, quit doing that. Stop that. Quit investing your energy in that. That's never going to pay off. Why don't you actually repurpose that energy towards something that's positive and towards something that's gonna bring you life and towards something that's gonna make your wife and children happy to be around you at the end of the day? Quit it. 
We need people to speak life into us. We need to have prophetic figures in our lives. The third thing that I want to say is that we need humility. We need humility. I say this to people all the time. Look for humility. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm good. I got this. I don't need to ask any questions. I don't need any help. I don't need to take anyone out to lunch. I don't need to drive to Denver. I'm fine. I've got Google. I've got a pretty good little nest egg. I've got my six months of savings. If something goes bad, we've got pretty decent insurance. I'm fine. No, you're not. No, you're not. God made us to need each other. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. People who are wise, they go, what can I learn from you? Could you please tell me something? Teach me something. Uh, tell me the best thing you've ever done. Tell me something that you have a regret in. And tell me what I need to avoid. Wisdom comes from those who are seeking it. James 1.5, whoever lacks wisdom, let them ask of God, who gives it graciously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Friends, it's a self-inflicted wound if we don't ask. At this point, it's on us. It's available. God has set up the body of Christ. God has given us a book. We have everything at our disposal if we will just seek it out and pursue it. Look for humility. It takes humility to say, I need your help and I would like to hear from you. First Peter 5, Peter says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. This is why I always have people like Bob Staten come up on the stage, 94-year-old man of God. This is why I talk about the Hardys. This is why I, I go to lunch with people who've got four and five decades on me, and I say, please, would you show me how to live? Like, young people, stop thinking you have what you need. Stop thinking if you just have friends that are your peers, you're fine. No. You're living in an echo chamber of experience. Go ask people who have lived. Go ask people who've lived through war world wars. Go ask people who've seen economies rise and fall three or four times in their lifetime and ask them how God was faithful and ask them what lessons they learned. If we will do this, we will live. And all of you, he says, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Somewhere along the way, Vladimir Putin forgot what humility is. Every person who becomes like that, they had a, they had a fork in the road. There was a decision. Either I say, you know what, I, I don't know enough on my own. Could you please help me? Or they double down in thinking they're airtight and they've got what they need. And this destroys the world. And God stiff arms that mess. You th oh, you, fine. You think you've got this? God, he opposes the proud. You wanna know where the grace of God is? It's in humility. I have sinned, oh God, have mercy on me. I'd, I'm so sorry. To look your, your family in the eye and say, I'm so sorry. To look your friends in the eye and say, I'm so sorry. I was, I was with a friend today and I said, hey, is there anything that I do that just bothers you? He's like, well, actually, well, uh, 
but just those moments where the plane, where it's just hearts get tenderized and open up. Friends, the world gets restored where humility is present. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Our job is to have the scriptures in front of us, to let these prophetic words pulsate in our imaginations and, and to have prophetic figures around us who know how to live and then to just live in humility and say, I'm sorry and I need your help and I need your wisdom and would you show me how to live? If we will do this, friends, the world will be different. I wanna ask, how will you treat the wiser dissenting voices in your life? You know what Israel did with their prophets? And you know what the people did with Jesus? We typically kill him. We typically say, you're not welcome here. I don't wanna hear it. I don't wanna hear it. It would be too hard if I actually listened to you and then put that into to action. It, it's much easier to do the short-term violence and eliminate your voice, but then you end up living with the long-term madness. We typically cut off the voices that we don't want to hear, the voices that require of something of us, but my question to you is, how will you treat the wiser dissenting voices in your life? If you will treat them with humility, you will grow and you will flourish and you will prosper. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, but the wise are the ones who are asking for it at every turn. Friends, if we will live this way, let these words come into our hearts and let these words reorient our, our focus, we will live. And so tonight... As we come to the end, what I want to say to you when we typically think about the prophets, this word that jolts, this word that shakes us, this word that thunders, this word that costs us something, we typically think of God being angry with us. And what I want to say to you tonight is God is not against us. God is for us. God is for our flourishing. God is for our prosperity. God is for us living beautiful and rich and, and exuberant lives. God wants us to prosper, which is why he comes to rebuke us. <laughs> he disciplines those he loves. So divine judgment is the relentless pressure of God to destroy in us all the things that are destroying us. This is what the prophetic texts do. This is what the thundering voice of Jesus does. This is what John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. This is what God is doing. God is, 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 is tightening the screws on us. His, it's his relentless pressure to destroy in us all of the things that are currently destroying us. God rebukes us because he loves us. God chastens us because he's for us. God comes after us to get us to put these things down that are killing us because he wants us to live. And so friends, tonight, God is not against us. God is for us. And so what we do is we open the book and we open our hearts and we submit ourselves in humility and we fall on our knees and we find some older saints who've lived and we submit ourselves to them and we ask for help. And if we will live this kind of way, God the Father will make us strong and he will make us wise and he will lead us into his fullness of life. Can you say amen tonight, church? Stand with me. The band is gonna come. We're gonna pray here in just a minute. What I want us to do is if you would get your communion elements ready. If you don't have communion elements, raise your hand real quick and our team will bring them to you.
Here they come. You can begin to open it up if you have it and take the wafer out. Brady Boyd, our pastor, said, the hardest thing I do every week is try to open up this communion cup. (laughs) So I'm giving you a little advanced uh, warning here. What I want us to do in this moment is to practice our humility, is to practice our repentance, to say, have mercy on us, oh God. We need cleansing. We need help. We need forgiveness. We need wisdom from above. And so we're gonna pray this prayer of repentance, this prayer of confession that saints all over the world in every language on earth, every continent on earth, You've prayed this prayer for a long time. It came from David, King David, when he had sinned. And he says, have mercy on me, O God. So would you join me tonight in practicing our humility? And as we do this, the world is being restored one prayer at a time. Church, let's pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said, Amen. Church, I have the gospel proclamation for you. That if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, the good news is there is a future for you that you could have never imagined. Friends, the good news is there's restoration and wholeness and joy and tenderness. Friends, the good news is God is going to use you and to steward your humility to, re, to restore the world. The good news is God is for us. So tonight, as you take that way for Jesus gathered with his people on the night he was betrayed, and he took the bread and he broke it, and if you just break that little wafer in your hand, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I want you to take it and eat it, all of you. And every time you do this, I want you to remember me. Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. Jesus, let me just say it this way. You are eating Jesus's humility tonight. Humility heals the world. (laughs) Humility restores the world. Humility gets things back on track. Humility is a fresh start for all of us tonight. Jesus goes first. And as you take this bread, and as you take the spirit of Jesus into you, you get to go live this for the world and give this to the world. Church, you may receive the bread. On that same night, Jesus took the cup of wine. He said, this cup, It's the new covenant, and it's given in my blood, and it's given for the remission of your sins. As often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. 
Whatever you bring to the table of the Lord tonight, I want you to see this on sort of a, a chronology, a timeline here. Whatever history or past you bring to the table of the Lord tonight, what you're doing is you're laying it down here and you're picking up the cup and walking into the future of forgiveness that Jesus has already purchased for us. It's a new start. You lay the junk down and you receive the grace and the goodness and the forgiveness and you walk on. Tonight, friends, you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. God is for you. You may receive the cup. Let's sing together. Jesus, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground. Oh, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of Try.
I want to go back into there in the ground in just a minute. But I was thinking some of you come in with death all around you. Something in your life, it's, it's dead. <laughs> it's, it's dead. It's put a nail in the coffin. It's over. You've tried. You've prayed. You've fasted. You've given. You've taken mission. Tri- like, like, let's just get superstitious. Can we even, can this thing live again? And you just know that it's dead. And I want to sing, there in the ground his body lay. Because with, with the story of Jesus, we see that death is not the end. That death is, is like almost end. <laughs> and then life is the end. And so I want you to carry that, 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 that thing in your life that has dominated your mind and your, is, has tormented your soul. And I want you to bring that situation or that relationship into the presence of the one who was dead, <laughs> but who is now alive. And so let's sing this by faith. Let's sing this from our, our, the depths of our souls. Come on, there in the ground. There in the ground, his body lay, the light of the world by darkness. Come on. sing hallelujah our God reigns changing time signatures come on church let's give him glory let's worship his name tonight this is the truest story in all the world come on hallelujah
shout your praise. Come on. you open your hands tonight church to receive the blessing oh I pray you know that God is for you he is not mad at you he's crazy about you God I love my kids and it doesn't even scratch the surface So know that the Father is for you. Know that he's going to take care of you. You're so scared about the future. I'm there quite often. He's going to get you where he wants you. You will not lack anything. Death will not be the end of your story. Fear will not be the predominant emotion in your life. Hope is rising. Joy is coming. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And I want to say with tenderness tonight, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. 
not diminishing your realities. I'm telling you that God is going to make it so that you're okay. And so in Jesus' name, I rebuke fear. I rebuke fear. To anxiety, I say, peace be still in the name of Jesus. I pray that whatever you put your hand to would prosper, that you would flourish. If you're a business owner, I pray that this would be your best year yet. Pray that you would expand and flourish and grow and that God would bless you so much and make you a blessing. I pray for favor everywhere you go, that God would open doors for you that no one could shut and that he would shut every door that he doesn't want you to walk through. I pray over you tonight, may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you peace. And I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I want to invite our prayer team to come down. If you have any extended prayer needs, we would love to see you and pray over you. If you want to get signed up to help us in our children's ministry, we would love to have you. So go on back to the table. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.